he said, folding his arms. Would you paper a room with representations of horses? After a pause, one half of the children cried in chorus, Yes, sir. Upon which the other half, seeing in the gentleman's face that yes was wrong, cried out in chorus, No, sir. Of course, no. Why wouldn't you? A dismal pause. Very well, I'll explain to you, said the gentleman. Do you ever see horses walking up and down the sides of a room in reality? Do you? Y yes, sir, from one half. No, sir, from the other. Of course, no, said the gentleman with an indignant look at the wrong half. Why, then? You are not to see anywhere what you don't see in fact. You are not to have anywhere what you don't have in fact. What is called taste is only another name for fact. This is a new principle, a great discovery. You are to be in all things regulated and governed by fact. We hope to have before long a board of fact, composed of commissioners of fact, who will force the people to be a people of fact and of nothing but fact. You must discard the word fancy altogether. You are not to have in any object of use or ornament what would be a contradiction in fact. Now, he concluded, turning to the schoolmaster, if Mr. McJoakumchild will proceed to give his first lesson here, I shall be happy to observe his mode of procedure. So Mr. McJoakumchild began in his best manner. He and some 140 other schoolmasters had been lately turned in the same factory on the same principles. He had been put through an immense variety of paces and had answered volumes of head-breaking questions, orthography, etymology, syntax and prosody, biography, astronomy, geography, mathematics, physical science, French, German, Latin, Greek... Ah, rather overdone, Machokum child. If he had only learnt a little less, how infinitely better he might have taught much more. Mr. Gradgrind walked homeward from the school in a state of considerable satisfaction. It was his school, and he intended it to be a model. He intended every child in it to be a model, just as the young Gradgrinds were models. They had been lectured at from their tenderest years, coursed like little hares. Almost as soon as they could run alone, they had been made to run to the lecture room. The first object with which they had an association was a large blackboard with a dry ogre chalking ghastly white figures on it. Not that they knew, by name or nature, anything about an ogre. Fact forbid. I only use the word to express a monster in a lecturing castle, taking childhood captive and dragging it into gloomy statistical dens by the hair. Mr. Gradgrind directed his steps towards his matter-of-fact home, which was called Stone Lodge. A great square house, it was situated on a moor within a mile or two of a great town called Coketown in the present faithful guidebook. Gradgrind had virtually retired from the wholesale hardware trade before he built Stone Lodge, and was now looking about for a suitable opportunity of making an arithmetical figure in Parliament. He had reached the neutral ground upon the outskirts of the town when his ears were invaded by the sound of music. 
the clashing and banging band attached to the horse-riding establishment which had there set up in a wooden pavilion was in full bray. A flag proclaimed to mankind that this was Sleary's horse-riding. Sleary himself, a stout modern statue, took the money. Miss Josephine Sleary was then inaugurating the entertainments with her graceful equestrian Tyrolean flower act, among the other pleasing wonders which must be seen to be believed. Thomas Gradgrind took no heed of these trivialities, of course, but passed on, as a practical man ought to pass on. But the turning of the road took him by the back of the booth, at which a number of children were congregated in a number of stealthy attitudes, striving to peep in at the hidden glories of the place. This must be brought to a stop. He took his eyeglass out of his waistcoat to look for any child he knew by name and might order off. What did he then behold but his own metallurgy?